You are listening to season two of the Not Neurotypical podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan, and season two is all about my continued late diagnosis journey, finding my voice, and figuring out what the heck to do now. So strap on your safety belts, hold on tight, because it's still going to be a bumpy ride. A lot has been going on in the world since I last recorded a podcast. Uh, Actually, the world is completely different (laughs) than last time I recorded a podcast. It was about March 4th, and it's now March 29th. And I try to record frequently and share podcasts frequently, But I am also not the kind of person who can just pick a subject and just like rant about it unless I'm just feeling it. Um, I think that is probably part of the narrowed interest. You know, things have to be a special interest for me to spend a lot of time on it. Unfortunately, I am not the person that can just focus on whatever I want or really contribute a lot of time to um, things that I know I should do rather than what I want to do uh, without a lot of hard work and effort. Um, And this podcast and autism in general and neurodiversity, neurodivergent adults, all of those subjects are my special interests. And Even when I have a special interest, though, I can't just rant about things within the special interest to you on a podcast unless I'm really feeling it. Um, And that's why it's been so long. And also, I've been very distracted. I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing. You probably haven't heard about it, but it's called coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 more specifically. Uh, Just a little thing going on. Just kidding. It's everywhere. We can't escape it. It's so all-consuming right now. I mean, most people in the world are not allowed to go to work. They're home with their kids. Most kids in the whole world are not going to school. Like, what the heck? Like, it's crazy. Um, And March 4th, I had heard about it. And it just seemed like this distant thing that was probably going to be like H1N1 where um, people are kind of concerned. And I mean, this is my experience. H1N1 or bird flu kind of came around and it's it was on everyone's radar. But like March 4th, that's kind of how I felt about coronavirus. And I never knew anyone personally that got H1N1. Um, where I was at the time, there was not a big outbreak there. I think maybe like two people got it around me in the city and it was just like on the news, but it was like one of those things like it's in the news, but it doesn't really affect your life. And at March 4th, when I recorded the last podcast, that's kind of what I thought was happening. And then in my head, it was like, okay, I'm going to be recording again next week which I normally plan on recording around the weekends just because I have more time and I have more help with my three wild, wild children who are so fun, but also, you know, I can't just like go record a podcast whenever I want because I have two toddlers 
who are also on the spectrum. All three of my kids are on the spectrum. I don't know if you guys know that. I know um, a lot of people have come in kind of in the middle of the whole thing. And if you haven't caught up or if you don't know every little detail about my whole life, I have three kids on the spectrum. And I'm on the spectrum, obviously. You probably know that. That's why you're listening. But it leads me just to talk about the issues of coronavirus. So all four of us, me, my son, and my two daughters, are very, very different. We have a lot of overlap on a lot of traits, and then we all have unique autistic traits to us or different ways that we cope, different ways that we handle things. Um, It looks very different in all four of us. So, you know, on that note, coronavirus or COVID-19, I think that some autistic, autistic people, from what I've heard, are really kind of stress free right now. Most people are ordered by their local or national governments to stay home, um, leave the house as little as possible. And I know at least for me, that's, that's normal. (laughs) That's like, I generally try to stay home as, as much as possible. I'm not like agoraphobic or anything. I, I like to get out of the house. I like to get out into nature. Um, but I only go out when I need to. I'm not someone who just goes out. Like I'm not like a window shopper or weirdos like that. No offense if you're a window shopper, but that's weird. I find it weird. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like there, as everything else, as with, sorry, everything else that I do, it has to have some sort of purpose. I have to be driven, you know, uh, there has to be some sort of like value behind it. Um, I can't fake stuff. Um, which has been really hard. And this is an autistic trait. It's not an autistic trait that everybody has, but I believe it kind of falls under the, um, the narrowed interests or, you know, the same place that it comes from with the, um, excessive routine and structure and all of that, and just things needing to be a certain way. And it may even be just demand avoidance, Um, I don't know if you've heard of PDA, Profile Autism, which stands for Pathological Demand Avoidance. It's not everywhere. It is not recognized in the DSM-5, but it is recognized in the ICD. And I believe, I'm probably wrong, I believe mostly the UK and Australia use ICD, which is like a different version of the DSM. So it's similar. It's like a diagnostic criteria. It establishes diagnostic criteria. Um, what's, you know, the panel or whoever is on the panel decides what changes need to be made, what's involved in all of that. So in the ICD, there is PDA autism. Um, I believe the ICD has a little more flexibility. So some doctors give you a PDA diagnosis and it's not actually an autism diagnosis. This is what I've heard. I don't know if this is true. And then most doctors, I believe, give you an autism, a PDA autism diagnosis and you're considered on the spectrum and and you just get an autism diagnosis. But 
Um, it's like old school back in the day when there was like five different types of autism diagnosis. Um, but here in America, in a lot of countries that mainly use DSM, um, it is not recognized and it's pathological demand avoidance. So I think, I mean, it fits me a lot, but all autism traits, all autistic traits fit me a lot. Like there's really no question in my mind. And I keep like uncovering things as I go. It's been almost nine months since I was officially diagnosed on July 1st, 2019. And I'm still like picking up on things or thinking about past experiences or something new kind of happens. And I'm like, oh, wow, is this autism? You know, like what's going on? Is this ADHD? You know, it's a daily, um, I mean, thank goodness this has become a special interest because I would imagine that if you kind of don't love the whole scenario and it doesn't become a special interest, it must be so much harder. And I really feel for you, if you're someone who is really struggling with your diagnosis or the fact that you might be or your self-diagnosis and it's not all cupcakes and rainbows and you're really um, feeling down about it, I want to send you my love and tell you that that is valid. And I don't want you to feel like, like a lot of advocates and, and other things, they really want to share the positivity around autism, but I don't want anyone listening. And I, and I feel all those positive things. Um, but I don't want anyone listening to ever feel like you have to be a certain way, or there's like a certain way to process the fact that you might be on the spectrum or late diagnosis ADHD or all of that, because it's going to be so different for everybody. And your experience is valid because it's you, it's real. This is your real life. And I, going back to my point, I think that the, when you suspect you're on the spectrum and you're looking into it and it doesn't magically become an obsessive special interest like it did for me, I would imagine it's going to take a lot longer because you might be avoidant as we were just talking about with PDA autism. You might be demand avoidant and even just looking at it might feel like a demand. So you don't really dive in like I did, or there's a big possibility that it's hard to reconcile all of the negativity and change it to positivity when it's not a special interest and you're not like engulfing yourself in this stuff because um, it's it's just natural. Well, first of all, when you're kind of researching everything and, and that first wave of like, what is autism and you go on the internet, it's all negative stuff. Um, and that's what I experienced. And what was so confusing for me is that on the other end of that, so when I was doing my research, I was already in a couple groups with real autistic adults and people who were had like a very strong foundation in the community and um, or just for themselves, uh, both diagnosed, self-diagnosed people who had been in the world for a long time of autism and and knew a lot about it. And so it seems like you get two extremes. You get the medical model side of it or 
people who are not happy about it or you just read, I mean, just reading a DSM, it's all negative stuff, of course, because um, that's how you diagnose people with, you know, everything that, <laughs> all the negatives, everything that is not quote, end quote, normal. And I think that when you are new into the world or just researching in general, anything having to do with autism, you are met with extremes. You are met with negativity or like this, this, and this is a challenge. This is hard. This is everything that's wrong with you. This is this, and this is something you need to work on and blah, blah, blah. And then the other side that you're met with is I finally found myself. I feel free and rainbows and cupcakes and and I'm so proud of myself and it's so good to know, like I saw a lot, it's so good to know that everything that I struggled with, you know, wasn't just me and, and it wasn't like, you know, you know, I finally have an answer for everything, you know, is it, it's just confusing because someone like me who is kind of always in the middle of things, it's really confusing. And that's kind of why I started my podcast and I started just sharing in a little bit of a different way because I don't really see things as like extreme positive and negatives and I don't live my life like that. I don't feel things in extremes. I normally don't know what I feel and have to piece it together. And I look at all the information and normally I see like extreme positive and extreme negative information. And then I kind of pick out the pieces that fit with me because I'm never on an extreme. I'm just not, I can't relate to extremes. And I think it's, it's probably my low empathy, honestly, because I, and, and the, um, you know, the fact that I just, don't always process what I'm feeling right away. So I'm not immediately connected to things like maybe some other people are and the way that other autistic people can be because, you know, empathy, there's different types of empathy. There's different, um, you know, it's empathy is kind of its own spectrum. Like with certain things, certain people feel really deeply and connect and then other things, maybe they don't. I don't think anyone has like empathy you know, emotional, cognitive, and all of that, like in the same way across the board in every situation. So um, it's just like another, it's like a spectrum within a spectrum. <laughs> it's so confusing and annoying and hard to grasp. But I think because of that, it, I just feel like I'm never processing, processing anything myself, like internally. I am always reading into everything and getting all of the information. I'm getting the good and the bad. And then I'm kind of piecing together what makes sense for me. And as I'm saying this to you all, I'm realizing how abnormal that probably is. I don't know. Do you relate? Like reach out to me. Let me know. You know, all my links are everything. Like, is that how you are? Like, is this normal? I don't, it's, I guarantee you it's probably not normal because there's literally very few things I do that align with, you know, normalcy in general. But, um, yeah, so I think because of that though, I, I don't think it's like a negative thing. I'm very disconnected from people and the world often. That doesn't mean that I can't connect though. I just connect a different way. So 
I'm generally coming from the outside of something. And, you know, a doctor would probably hear that and think that that's, you know, I'm on, I'm not capable of it, but what they, what people don't understand is that autistic people just generally have a different way to get somewhere. So that's why the DSM criteria is so confusing because it makes sense for kids in a lot of ways, but for adults, we've created so many workarounds to things, or we have a different way to do something. And it doesn't mean we can't do things. We just have a different way of doing it. And that's something that doctors and research teams and, and, you know, medical scientific and, you know, people that just aren't autistic. It's really hard to, for them to grasp that because I think generally, well, you think about school, like you're taught one way to do everything. You're taught a correct way and that can change over time, but everyone in the class learns the same way. Um, <laughs> And it doesn't mean that we can't do it that way, but, you know, when left to our own devices, which if you're suspecting you're autistic right now, or if you got a late diagnosis in adulthood, you've already created all these workarounds and it's, you know, the world kind of sees you as someone who like can't do things, but that's totally false. We can do pretty much anything that anyone else can do. We just have a different way of doing it or we need a different process or we need more time or we need or like the world needs to catch up to us or, you know, whatever the situation may be. So I went so far on a tangent here, but I'm going to bring it all back, um, you know, with COVID-19 and all of that going on, processing is going to be all so different Um I'm sorry, I just like took you all the way around the world. And I think all of these things connect somehow, but I haven't gotten there yet, um, even in my head. <laughs> uh, follow along, follow along, pay attention, focus back in here. I'm going to have a point. So everyone's processing COVID-19 so differently. And, and I got off on the tangent because I was explaining that we're all so different and we all have different methods and different things. And I wanted to share kind of where I am right now. I've been Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, and many counties in PA have been on lockdown for two weeks now. And lockdown means that all non-essential businesses and business people are closed and people are either working from home or have lost their jobs. My business was shut down. My uh, husband, he's still going to work every day because he is in healthcare and he's an essential employee within healthcare, a major health network in Philadelphia. So he's been going to work every day. And the order, it's its actually, we I called it a lockdown, but it's actually a stay-at-home order now at this point. So, you know, if you told me before this all happened that there was going to be a stay-at-home order, I would have rejoiced. Now, I'm also a little demand avoidant. And <laughs> the second someone, like, tells me you have to stay home, then I'm like, ugh, what the heck? Like, I just kind of want to go out. Um, but then there's all this uncertainty out there and there's so much they don't know, like, 
you know, there's not many tests. So, so many people don't know if they, you could just be walking around with coronavirus and not know it and be spreading it and be, and not be symptomatic. And then the, you know, they're saying that the incubation period where you can be, um, contagious and not know it yet is like a couple of days. So it's just kind of like a lot that it's like this invisible virus going around and all the uncertainty. So I want to leave the house when I normally don't want to leave the house, but then I also don't want to leave the house because there's just a lot of uncertainty out there. And I have young children and every day the news changes, but like, oh, kids, you know, old, older people are high risk. And then they're like, oh, well, kids are high risk too. Maybe, uh, I don't know. It's just all over the place. So with the uncertainty, I do want to stay home. I'm fine with it. I kind of want to go out. But after two weeks, like the first week, I was totally fine. Week two, I've had a little bit of a spiral. Like just, it just doesn't feel right. And not too much has changed in my routine. My son's home from school. So of course that's changed a little bit, but just kind of feels like, like we were getting close to spring break anyway. So it's kind of like, all right, uh, no big deal. But week two is when it sinks in. Like, how long are we going to be cooped up with my business shut down and uh, no one able to do anything besides essential life-sustaining things? Like, the only thing you can do here is go to the grocery store and you know, go to a CVS and get your prescriptions or whatever, you know, it's just literally like that only. And even the restaurants are not allowed to have customers dine in, everything's takeout, and you're not even allowed to enter the business. Like, it's, it's really extreme. And I get why, like, I'm not upset about what's going on in the world. I mean, some people are like, blaming this all in the media, which I, I'm not trying to get political or anything, but I find that kind of absurd because there's pretty much a scientific and medical consensus with like all the doctors and scientists who study this type of thing and have an expertise, like pretty much all on the same page. So I, I feel comfortable with the actions that local governments are taking. I mean, I don't like, nobody likes it. Um, I don't like what's happening to the economy here and all around the world. It's it that's a little scary, but I get it. I get what's going on. But what's hard for me is uncertainty because that's like a routine and transition thing. I think a lot of autistic people who are fine with staying at home, it's the uncertainty and the not knowing what's next, not knowing what to expect. Like that's something, at least to me and a lot of autistic people that I know, those things are really important to us. And that's because we've been through a lot. We've been surprised. We've been distressed in situations where we don't really know what's coming and it, it it's hard for us. And thinking about that is a little scary but at the same time, I'm not distressed by it yet because it's, you know, I don't really know what's going to happen. And I am forced to be home in my comfy place, in my home with 
my immediate family, my husband and my kids who I love so much. So I would imagine, and I'm so grateful that I have them. I would imagine if you're stuck in the home in a bad situation, you know, with, uh, a partner that maybe you were planning to leave or like, you know, situations like that, I imagine it's probably torture. Or if you're a younger adult and you're still living with your parents and there's, you know, that negative dynamic that a lot of younger adults have when they're still living with their parents and all that, I imagine it's really hard. So if you're struggling out there, I'm sending you my love. And I, I don't want to dwell on this too much and like, you know, upset everybody and, and the people who are just trying to cope and all of that. I I just want to point out that we're going to get through this and we can do that together. And if you're struggling and you are not in the not neurotypical squad, which is a free group that you've heard about probably on here, but it's a free group for neurodivergent adults it's very accepting and understanding. If you are not okay right now, I want you to go to the squad and just vent. Find your space. You can vent on the main page. You can go to one of the groups if there's a specific thing that makes sense. Uh, the different squads kind of have different subjects. But go there and be yourself and you're allowed to vent. Um, it's actually the most amazing group I've ever been involved with. And when I say I have not had to moderate at all, I mean it. And this is like living proof. And there's like almost 400 members, um, about 200 really active members. So it's a really good group of people that are all kind of growing and learning together and sharing and being themselves and being accepted. And in my head, it's like, wow, you know, it's so amazing that we all have this group right now when life is so uncertain and a little scary and a little unpredictable and, you know, a lot of people don't understand us in general. So it's great to have somewhere where you can go and vent and people are going to be like, yeah, I get it. And I haven't seen one person there, tone police or... um even be like just a little dismissive or rude to anybody. Like it's really amazing. And if you're in the squad, thank you for how awesome you've been and kind and accepting and loving you've been to the other squad members. It, it really blows me away. And um, sure, I put up the platform, but you guys being so awesome and accepting and loving is what makes it what it is. So thank you. And if you need something like that off of social media, I invite you to look in the description and click the link and join and check it out. I mean, you don't have to stay if it's not your thing. It's definitely not going to be for everybody, but come check it out. Um, it's free. So there, you're not like going to lose any money or anything and it's going to be free forever. There's never going to be, you know, um, there's no catch. <laughs> it's really just for people to come and find other people like them, neurodivergent. You don't have to be autistic. You can suspect you're autistic. You can suspect that you might be ADHD. You could have a childhood uh, Tourette's diagnosis, and then you kind of grow up and think there might be more going on. I mean, any type of neurodivergent person is welcome. And uh, 
we're here for you. So if you're really struggling right now, there's people out there who want to hear you and value you. So I just wanted to invite you out for that. Um, moving on. I wanted to kind of circle back to the PDA and kind of like struggling with, with things, um, and kind of tie that in. I talked a lot about how I just can't do whatever I want or what I think I need to do. It's like, I have to have some sort of value or passion or something behind it. And it's gotten me into a lot of trouble over the years. Um, everyone around me, my whole life, not everyone, but the general consensus is that I'm a difficult person. And I would say it's mainly because of that trait, because it's so hard to do things that I don't want to do, um, even when I know I need to do it. And uh, that's something that isn't just autism too. Like that's definitely an ADHD trait to a certain degree. I think it's a little more extreme in some cases in autistic people, but, um, it's something that not just autistic people struggle with. And it just kind of comes from a different place. So like in ADHD, you can't do things that you're not interested in because you get bored easily. And it's like, you get distracted and things like that. Um, for autism, I think it's more, uh, it's like a black and white thing. It's like, you're so all or nothing, hot or cold, or at least me, I'm sharing about me and, and some people that I've talked to that I, I know this is a trait that not just me has, <laughs> but, um, I think it's like a black and white thing. It's, it's like, you know, and, and I spoke a couple episodes ago about the playing with my kids thing. And what I'm learning now is if I can, it's the first step that's the hardest. And like I said, it's not like we can't do things. The abilities are there in so many cases when people think that they're not there. We just need the chance to do things our own way or figure out a workaround or figure out how it makes sense for us. Because if it doesn't make sense to me, I can't do it. <laughs> that's why uh, That's why I struggled so much in jobs I because so many jobs are completely inefficient and it's just done a really like ridiculous way, or at least to me. Um, and that makes living as an adult really difficult. And that's probably one of the things that autistic people probably, this is a guess and completely anecdotal. This is not science, but I'm guessing that that trait is probably one of the things that autistic people have to mask the most and probably something that leads to the most meltdowns and burnout more than anything else. And no one's talking about that. This is my guess. I have no evidence, but hear me out. We live in a world where there's just a certain way to do things. Like I said, we learn that in school and we have to, you know, there's one way that to do it 
And the whole class, starting from a very young age, learns it that way. And then you're all tested the same way, and you're all expected to have the same level of knowledge. Every kid in the class, and we're talking 20 to 40 kids, depending what kind of classroom you're in or or whatever, average of 25 kids in a lot of cases nowadays, every kid learns the same way, tested the same way, And that's where most autistic people or neurodivergent in general, especially ADHD people as well, add in the, uh, you know, difficulty in focusing and all of that. That's the first place that we really begin to struggle unless we have an unhealthy home. But school where there's one way to do something, that's when you see You see one of two things. You see the kid who is masking all day and it's really hard and they have to put forth so much effort to do things that way all day and they come home and they melt down all night because masking was so hard. Or you have the kid who says, screw this. (laughs) Who's me now? I'm not into that. I don't want to do it that way. And, and maybe there's like a little bit of a mask with certain things just so they don't get in trouble. They mask as little as possible, or there's that kid who's not masking at all. And they're just like, I'm not doing it. But when you're five, six, seven, eight years old, you don't understand what's going on. So you're seen as a behavior issue. You're seen as defiant or bad or just any of number of things. And the real issue is that it's not a great learning style for them or they need extra time or they need a different way to grasp what's going on or they're not given the chance to learn the way that they need to learn. It doesn't mean they can't learn. It doesn't mean that a kid can't sit still in class all day. It's the fact that there is one way of doing things and probably at least half the class needs a different way. So And it just blows my mind that it just feels like that's never going to be addressed. But neurodivergent people start struggling in school. And then you struggle 13 years. Not always. Some people love school. If if that learning style works for you, you're especially probably going to be late diagnosed because you're missed. Because people assume if you're ADHD you're bad. Or if you're autistic, you're dumb. So if you're good and you're smart and you have some challenges that you can easily kind of work around and maybe you like the school environment, the structure works for you, someone telling you, you know, you're going to be missed because you had no need to, you didn't need help in that environment. And then once your environment changes, typically college where there's no one holding your hand. It's a completely different environment. High school here, at least, did not prepare you at all (laughs) for college, even though that's what they claim they're really doing. But all of a sudden, you're thrown to the wolves. So many neurodivergent people realize that they had no idea what was coming, and that's when they get a diagnosis Some people like me didn't even go to college. So then I just struggled my whole 20s and 30s and all that and kind of figured out later. I mean, I knew I was ADHD at 12, but, um, you know, there was more to the story, obviously, because
because I'm here telling it now. But um, yeah, so back on track, this is where we struggle. And then the struggle is not over. If school didn't work for you, if you don't find a job that you appreciate the, you know, if it's not your special interest or if you, if it doesn't work for you in some way, then the struggle just continues. Or maybe you struggled all through middle school and high school and then college is an environment that works for you. Then all of a sudden you're cool and you're like, oh my God, you know, my life makes sense now. And then you get a job that the environment doesn't work. And all of a sudden you're like, what is wrong with me? Like, I feel like I'm in high school again where nothing makes sense and I'm confused and all that, you know, our environment matters so much because sometimes we just need a different way to do things. And there are so few scenarios where we're given the understanding and acceptance or the time or even the respect to just do things our way. And it's a struggle that never goes away. And this is one reason why talking about this and wrapping our heads around this is so important because this is a self-advocacy opportunity for you. And that's why I want to talk about it because knowing this and understanding this might keep you from meltdowns and burnout. And unfortunately, in school, kids don't have a lot of options unless they're able to get an IEP or a 504, which unfortunately there's a whole lot of ADHD and autistic kids who are left out of that due to getting good grades and things like that. Um, because once again, they place needs with needs and challenges. They place that with ability and, uh, you know, there's just a very, it's like tunnel vision. So they have to see it. You know, if there's anything invisible, they have to see it. And they, if you're getting good grades, they just claim they never see it. They're just never going to see it. You have to push and push and push. It's so stressful. I've been there. I'm a mom of three, as you know, but one in school. And it's been just an ongoing struggle. And I get it. But the, it really just doesn't end there. That's, that's the problem. And this is why we need people understanding this stuff and talking about it and getting out there because a lot of us deal with the same crap into adulthood every day. And not just from work, we get it from family. We get it from sometimes our partners or even sometimes our kids, you know, like it's just, it's hard, but I think if you are conscious of this fact that it's not that we can't do things, it's that we typically want to do things a certain way and, you know, it's this. there's nuance here because some things you need to learn to do the right way, but a lot of the time there should be some sort of flexibility for you you know, people need to accept and understand us and give us that just because we need to do things a different way doesn't mean we can't get there. And I mean, using my empathy or lack of and my inability to just instantly connect to everything around me, like I said, this is the perfect example. It doesn't mean that I can't connect. It just means that I have a very, very different process than most other people do. 
and I have to take in all the information and figure out how I feel about it. And I 99% of the time have real feelings and know how I feel. It's just not right away. It's down the road. It's all different times depending on the situation, but normally pretty quickly, like within five minutes, I can take in the information, but I have to ask questions. I need to often like look things up, see how I feel. Um, I also just have to be interested in it. And like I said, I have to find value and have a passion in things and all of that. Um, so I think it's just really important that you have the conscious awareness of this and figure out where you fit into that. And then that's something that you have to learn how to self-advocate for. And beyond that, it's just something that I think is highly masked because we're told that you have to do things a certain way and there's no other way to do it and all of that. And, and to me, that's just extremely ableist because literally we're told our whole lives that if you can't do things the way that you're taught, people just assume you can't do them. And that's just so wrong. And, and very few jobs give people the creative freedom in, in a lot of ways. Some do. And, and sometimes it depends on what kind of manager you have. Some managers are like, give me the outcome that I want and I don't really care how you do it. And then other managers don't always care about the outcome. They want to see like work, you know, being done a certain way. Uh, and if you don't like that work, that job's probably not going to work out for you. But um, it's just something that we need to be aware of. And I really believe if you can figure this out for yourself and self-advocate and and stick up for yourself when you need to, this could possibly cut down so many meltdowns and even a huge burnout because I've experienced, this is the just me processing all of this world of autism and, and figuring it all out and where I fit in all of the different pieces and packages that are so tightly packed in autism and figuring out where I fit um, has helped me so much. And I realize now that, um, you know, burnout and meltdowns, I think, are some of the hardest things to figure out, like why you experience them. And I have figured out that one time that I had major burnout, uh, well, actually two times. One was probably 14, 15, 16, and it was school related. And it was just, uh, it was just too hard. I was masking and I was finally on Adderall and I finally could do things, but I masked even harder and, um, it led to serious burnout and I had just huge, like, like full on breakdown. It was bad in my teenage years. And then I experienced the same thing in my twenties when, um, you know, in the working world and, you know, I don't, <laughs> unfortunately I don't have tips. Like I can't like tell you what to do. It's different in every situation. It's different for every person. Um, it's really things that you have to evaluate, but figure out where you fit into that and then think about it. Um, I think for a lot of you listening, it, it probably makes sense 
that the narrowed interest and in, and that need to do things with purpose or efficiency or or whatever your passion is, you know, doing things that don't make up for that. If you notice yourself masking those things, like think about it. Think about what led to your last meltdown or your last burnout. Was it masking doing things a way that didn't make sense for you? It's very possible. Or just something where you needed a different way to kind of process it and you weren't given it. Um, it's really important. And that's something that I will be advocating for, for the neurodivergent community because I think it's really, really important. And it's something that I really don't see anyone talking about. And I think it might be a huge help for major awareness on this subject. So that's my rant for today. I hope you enjoyed it and relate to it and all that stuff. And um, uh, exciting thing is that I'm going to continue this rant on the secret vlog, not vlog, the secret podcast tier of my Patreon account. So if you want to hear more, go ahead and sign up for the secret tier. I'll put a link in there. And in the description, just click it. And if you want to hear more on this, it is coming up on the secret podcast. Anyway, thank you for listening. I hope this has touched you in some way because I really think this is a big thing that needs more research in the medical community and more people need to be talking about this because I personally, I don't, I'm not saying I like made this up and, or, and whatever, but I have not seen this and it's something that I've kind of put together for myself. And I have a feeling that a lot of people's lives would be majorly improved if they were conscious of these things that you're masking, that it actually hurts. <laughs> if you're covering up you having to do things a certain way and it's really frustrating and, it, and distressing at times and it hurts you down the road. And a lot of the time, it's very possible that being conscious of this and advocating for yourself and being and asking, sometimes you just have to ask and someone's going to give you the understanding that you need, but you have to be conscious of that. Anyway, more on that. In the secret podcast on Patreon, I will put the link but definitely think about it. See where you fit. Think about the last couple times you've had meltdowns, your last burnout. Was it related to that? I would love to know. Email me, reach out to me on Instagram at Laura Stan. That's L-E-U-R-A-Z-D-A-N. Um, I have a Facebook page that is kind of blowing up right now. One of my things went viral on there. So follow the Facebook if you haven't as well. It's facebook.com slash not neurotypical podcast. You can find me there. And let's continue this discussion. I would love to hear if this resonates with you. Anyway, keep looking up. Stay strong. We're going to get through all of this coronavirus craziness together. I don't think it's the end of the world. I really believe we're all or most of us are going to be okay. And if you need extra support during this time, please reach out to the Not Neurotypical Squad, also a link in the description. And if you're not okay, reach out to somebody or come to the squad. We're here for you. But if you're not okay, you have to admit it. And it's okay. 
to not be okay right now. It's okay. Thank you for listening. Until next time.